Welcome to Context, the podcast from Arizona State University's Construction Technologies class, giving you an inside look into the backgrounds and theories of the subjects covered in this course. Con453, welcome to this episode of Context. Right on. We are excited to be together, excited to have you. Um, as always, I'm, I'm joined with our partner in crime, Steve Ayer. Steve, give him a shout out. Hey, everyone. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, really, the, the you know intentionally bringing in Steve on the front end, want to make sure we're not monologuing here at you, but giving you as much of the conversation as possible. Um, so this is actually um, in preparation for our discussion in class on 3D coordination. Uh, by this time, you will have had some really good conversations on BIM philosophy. And really, again, as we said at the outset, some of these fundamental elements um, that are going to lay the, the basis for what we're going to talk about over the, the rest of the semester. And you're going to be experiencing um, 3D coordination a, a bit more um, <clears throat> as a a management discussion and a management approach through the, the BIM PXP process. So again, that's why we're talking about it um, here today. Steve, anything else to, to add for just from a foundational level as to why we approach 3D coordination so early on? Um, no, I mean, it, I, the only other thing I'll, I'll say, I mean, it's, it's a fairly common process now. It's one some of you will know. If you don't, you should. I mean, this is, this is going to be something you'll see more of. And, and certainly, like you said, I mean, this is something that you're going to see a lot of in class as well for a lot of the PXP stuff. So. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, and I think you said it well, Steve, you know, more and more this is becoming commonplace in the industry, which is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I remember when I was a student um, back in 2000, in the late 2000s, um, learning this stuff, and it was still somewhat new. And now here we are just, you know, a mere 10 years later. And, uh, and now to say it's commonplace is pretty fantastic. But um, before we dive too much farther, let's let's make sure we understand, you know, what are the, what are the problems we're trying to solve um, with this whole idea of three D coordination? So, um, in the world we live in, in in construction, there's some some competing issues, right? There's there's continuing pressure um, from both our customers um, as well as others to to drive down project cost, right? From from the customers, their perspective is that they're they're always trying to pay less and less for more and more and no one's going to fault them for that, right? That's that's a business principle. You always want to pay less and, and get more. Um, within your companies, there's there's a similar cost pressure desire to drive down the cost of the project so that they can be able to increase their profitability, increase margin, right? Um, so these are the two of the problems that we're facing head on. Um, another problem in all sincerity that's I think also only going to continue to accelerate is this problem of increasingly complex buildings. Um, these buildings are getting just so dang intelligent now. Um, and with that intelligence comes complexity in the, in the world of, especially obviously the E and the MEP, um, but specifically in these MEP areas, there's a, a high degree of coordination that's going to be required um, to execute these projects successfully. And maybe the last problem that I'll highlight, and Steve, if there's any others that I'm missing, please feel free to jump in here. Um, but another problem that we're trying to, to help resolve is our, our design partners, our design friends in the community, um, they're continuing to get paid less and less um, from from a fee perspective, and so that's then driving them to have to you know look to us to start to fill in some of those gaps. Um, frankly, for for things that we should know and we should be expert experts in um, in the space of of means and methods or or constructability said otherwise. So 
Um, you know, this is just uh, maybe a, a sampling of some of the problems that we're trying to solve with this um, thing of, of 3D coordination. And, and I want to be clear before I flip it to Steve for any other problems. It's not that we had this really cool tool called 3D coordination and just started, you know, applying this Band-Aid to these different problems randomly. Rather, it's, it's the other way around. These, these problems are out there. They, they persist. Um, and in large degree, they're only exacerbating over the long term. And this 3D coordination thing really, you know, we'll get maybe a little bit of the history here later on, but it really um, kind of became born out of the suffering of these problems and it's only continued to enhance um, in its ineffectiveness and its spread as, as Steve alluded to earlier. So Steve, any other problems that we're trying to solve here in the industry? Um, I guess I'll, I'll just mention a, a rudimentary one that's actually even more basic than some of the, what you were giving an example of. This is more for, if anyone, if, if this is completely new for you and you're listening and, and you did have not heard of this, sometimes students think 3D coordination is uh, something that should be done by the designer, right? And what you get is a construction document. It's 100%, it's done, you just go build it. Uh, that's not really true though with a lot of the MEP systems, right? They will see on the on the drawings you get It'll say something like contractor to coordinate or some version of that kind of note, which typically means you as the, the contractor or subcontractor will have some choice in where you run your systems. So when we think about a lot of the major systems, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, when I think mechanical, I'm thinking big ducts, right? I've got big sheet metal ducts that I've got. I've got VAV boxes in my um, uh, facility. I've got to have supply ducts that go into my different rooms. I may have some return ducts. that. I, so I've got a lot of this duct work that I've got. I may have some mechanical units that I have in my building. When I think electrical, I've got conduits. I've got switches. I've got receptacles. I've got cable tray. I may have some switch gears or panel boards that I've got. When I think plumbing, I've got pipes. I've got uh, valves that I have, maybe pumps that I've got. My point is you've got a lot of different stuff that is being installed by these different uh, individuals, right? Now, if where those items are to go are not specified by the designer, they're specified by those individuals, the MEMP, right? They're often coordinated with the GC or sometimes they're coordinated among, you know, one of the subs to lead that different companies do it differently. Um, but my point is that coordination is necessary. If you don't have a way of knowing where the other of M, E, and P are putting their equipment, all the stuff I just mentioned, what's the likeliness that you're going to have an issue where you both wanted to occupy the same space? Pretty high, right? Like it, make, it makes a whole lot of sense. And so, so part of why we have to do this is to kind of like you heard me say in one of the earlier classes is not to succeed, but to fail. We want to find these failures or clashes or places where there are problems, except we wanna find them in BIM, where it's really early to, uh, to find and cheap to re uh, remedy, right? And it costs a little money for modeler's time, but not a whole lot of money there, where it's much, much, much cheaper than in the field. In the olden days, what did we do? We just built it in the field, dealt with all of the really uh, low productivity we have of having to figure out a design on the fly, never getting good as built, because who knows what they built up in the ceiling. And so now this is kind of what has led to this. So I'm only saying this, um, again, for the students that kind of said, wait, I don't understand why we have to do this in the first place. This is something we've always had to do. Uh, and, and as Chase brings up, you know, as there is more, as there are more opportunities for um, field co uh, coordination or for, for contractors to figure out where they will run their equipment, this becomes even more important. So we don't have clashes in the field. Yeah, you know, Steve, as you were talking, two, two things came to mind um, that are a little bit anecdotal, but I think help drive the point home. 
Um, I can't tell you when I was early in my career and I was um, reviewing bids coming in from trade partners, th this was a common ex experience. Um, and I would have to imagine it's still happening now. I'm just not in the, in the role anymore of, of overseeing bidding. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, let's you know, pick on our, our dear Sparkies, and that's only because we're going to have uh, Corbin's later, and I love picking on Aaron and his, and his group just because they're dear friends. Um, but our, our dear Sparkies, you know, I received a bid one time for, for this complete uh, commercial building, and at the bottom of the bid from the electricians, it said E-Sheets only. Have you ever seen this where it was E-Sheets only or M-Sheets only or P-Sheets only? I, I was floored. I was like, how, how in the world are you only bidding the E-Sheets? Well, well I, I'm only an electrician. I, I mean, this, this wasn't Corbin's. I was just, you know, picking on them because they're a good friend. It was a different electrician. But they said, well, we're, we're electricians. We only do electrical. I said, right, but there's other things that are happening in the building that you have to work with and you have to be cognizant of. Like, you're, you're not building your, like, so, something is going to hold up your conduit, right, to your point. Um, and so it was just so bizarre to me. I said, I said, I'm sorry, I have to reject your bid. You know, you, you need to go back and, and if you want to bid the project, you're welcome to. You're welcome to rebid, but it has to be in conformance with the complete drawing set. You're, you're not just bidding the e-sheets. I, I will not sign your contract for that. And the other thing you have to understand is that I don't sign your bid. You sign my, my contract. And my contract with you is going to be for the entire document set, not just for the e-sheets. So um, let's let's either, you know, you're going to have to, rescind your bid and, and be fine not having a swing at this project or you need to revise your bid and, and bid the whole drawings. So let, let's have that conversation. Are you seeing less of that though as time goes on? It would just seem like this is becoming more standard where you would you would have to be able to do that to get a lot of jobs, I would think, right? Well, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of that role now, right? And I haven't been in that role for years. Um, but now it's inspiring me to want to go talk to our estimating department and say, okay, guys, is, is this, is this dead? <laughs> Hopefully this, this, uh, you know, frankly, archaic way of doing things is, is, is long gone, but, but it was sincerely something I interacted with earlier on in my career. Um, and the other anecdote I'll share real fast, just to this point about, you know, coordinating the field and, um, and candidly, it doesn't just happen um, interdisciplinary. Sometimes it happens within the same discipline. So I'll keep the, the names of the company innocent, but um, I was walking into the job of one of my mentors when I was in college. Um, and we were walking down this hallway and there was this large grease duct assembly that came in. And you know, you have the benefit of seeing my hands because I'm part Italian. I talk with my hands. The students don't see this right now. But there was this large grease duct section coming into this corridor at an elevation. And as I looked at the other side of the corridor, there was the other side of the grease duct um, system coming through the other side of the corridor. But there was an elevation differential of almost three feet um, between those two. And I looked at it and I pointed it to my, to my mentor and I'm like, what, what the heck happened here? And he said, oh, yeah, there, there's an issue there. We've got a large supply duct uh, run that's about to come down the corridor. And uh, the, the, the HVAC company, when they were planning that, they, they, they had already had their grease duct installed. And then they realized they had this, this issue. So now they have to go out and fab a custom piece of grease duct to be able to overcome this issue with the supply duct. Um, so, you know, certainly it, 3D coordination, we always talk about it in the lens of interdisciplinary, but sometimes it's even within within the same discipline that there's issues. Um, so I think we could drone on and on about different examples and, and making cases for this, but I, I hope the students get the, get the understanding. Um, the last couple of things I'll share, and you guys, I, I actually sent this um, study to our class TAs, so we'll try and get this posted to Canvas for you, but um, Mortensen did a study a couple years ago on 18 of our projects that we were um, implementing 
VDC on um, and compared it against uh, a, a number of other projects that we did not implement VDC on. And we found a couple things, you know, to kind of prove out, you know, are, are we actually solving some of these problems? Are we actually finding value? Um, and what we found was on those 18 projects that we were implementing VDC, which stands for Virtual Design and Construction, um, which is essentially, a, I'll just say it's a, another way to look at BIM, um, is maybe a simple way to say it for now. But two of the, the proof points I wanted to share with you is we actually found a, a productivity gains on the order of about 25% on the 18 projects that we implemented, um, 3D coordination and, and other BIM techniques. Um, and then from a direct cost reduction perspective, we were able to re reduce direct um, costs by 3% um, on average over those 18 projects. So that, that's, that's significant, right? Um, so just as, as, a, as a related data point, remember when in our project delivery methods conversation, we talked about fee and, you know, traditional fee is on the order of, you know, three to, to 5% really is what we're seeing in the market. So if you can reduce your direct cost by 3%, you can potentially enhance your margin by double, right? Is what we're really saying. Um, so just something to, to think about and be considerate of there. So um, these are some of the maybe proof points and case points for, for why 3D coordination. Um, the last thing I really want to talk about before we jump into the what's next is, is who, who do we invite to the 3D coordination party and, and why? Um, and I, I say party a little bit tongue in cheek, right? Um, and, and we elucidated some of those already. The mechanicals, the electricals, the plumbing are, are some of the, you know, simply regular participants. Um, but additionally, you know, beyond that, what we, what we really want to think about is, is what's critical to the project. That's really the lens to think about it. What, what is going to introduce risk? And because at the end of the day, let's, let's be honest, right? Our, our job is, as builders is, is really twofold. It's one, reduce wit, risk and and two, communicate. That's, that's it. If we can't reduce risk and we can't communicate, I don't care how good you are at the sticks and bricks, you're not getting anything done. Um, so when we start thinking about who do we want to invite to our 3D coordination, we want to think about how, how are we going to um, reduce risk in the delivery of the project and who needs the enhanced communication are two really good lenses. So with that being said, you know, um, we gotta talk to the MEPs, you know, you wanna look, take a really hard look at your structurals, um, your enclosure, if you have complex enclosures, you might wanna take a look at them. Um, but some of, the, some of the ones that maybe don't um, warrant a, a participation in the 3D coordination effort, um, as much as they're important trade partners, but again, it's about risk and communication, you know, painting, right? There's very, very low risk in painting. Um, there's it's it's a pretty clear scope to be able to communicate and manage that. So you're not going to invite your painters to that. Um, similarly, right, flooring, millwork, um, your ACT. I'm I'm going to couch that a little bit and say, you know, you we we certainly model all these things, um, but we're not necessarily going to go to the expense of having the trade partners do that. That might be something that that we do as the general contractor. The architect will have um, simple layers in there and. Steve, I can't remember if this is in your content or mine, but we'll talk about this with the students as well. It's the whole idea of these levels of, of development or these levels of detail for the drawings. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll cover that one in, in, in mine a bit more, but maybe even for the time being though, let's go back to that uh, grease duct example you gave. I mean, maybe that's a good just face to put on this. If you think of that, you've got this duct across a corridor that should connect and it's at two very different elevations. Can you still paint the walls around there if those are at different elevations? You can, right? I mean, it, it's not really that much of an inconvenience if you're a painter, right? Can you still do the landscaping if somewhere in the building two ducts are aligned? You can still do the landscape. So, so I think that's really important because I'm glad you talked about this, Chase, because I, I maybe you've seen this as well. Sometimes when we're working with students that are new, when we talk coordination, you say who is involved in this? Everyone. If anyone's not involved, we're we're not going to be aligned, right? Which at 
first glance, you say, okay, I guess that makes sense. But you're paying for people to be there, right? Somehow it's paying, whether it's in the bid or you're paying them directly or you're paying them to be there. You don't necessarily need everyone. So I'm really glad you're talking about who's in and who doesn't need to be in. Yeah, that's that, that's exactly right. And, and maybe this is a, a good segue to jump right into the what's next, you guys. And, and we'll talk about this in class. Um, we'll, we'll give you an example of this. But for now, as, you, as you're finishing your coffee, walking your dog, um, if you're like me, listening to podcasts while you work out, finishing, you know, maybe stretching and, and whatnot, um, I want you guys to think about uh, an office building tenant improvement project, right? Maybe you've been on one. Um, if you haven't, there's certainly, you know, the, plenty of offices in and around Tempe that are going up that are, um, that are white box right now that, that need to be built out that you can probably go take a look. Um, but anticipate that you're the GC that's being awarded the tenant improvement. And you know you're 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 getting ready to bid out your subcontracts. And to Steve's point about you have to pay for this service. This isn't something that everyone just does, right? Um, from architects to GCs to trade partners, people don't just do this, right? They want to get compensated for it because it costs money for these experts. It costs money for this software and so forth. Um, so with that being said, you know if you want people to pay for it um, and you don't want to be blindsided by costs, you're going to include something in this in the bid documents that's going to say hey you, you need to um, plan for you know these softwares this um, this number of hours this number of meetings so on and so forth and this starts to kind of hint towards the bim pxp um, but candidly for, for us in our practice at mortensen it actually becomes an exhibit in the bid documents and it ultimately turns into an exhibit in your contract as a trade partner for us that you're going to be held to a standard or a, a specific standard for 3d coordination bim um, different technologies, et cetera. So again, think about you're, you're a GC that's about ready to take on this office building TI, you're, built, you're bidding out subcontracts. Um, so who are the trade partners that need to have a BIM or 3D coordination exhibit? And who does not? And, and why, to Steve's point that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. Um, you know, so consider that a little bit um, and we'll, we'll follow up and, and have a real direct conversation about that in class. So. With that, um, and as always, we hope this gave you guys some context.